Welcome to the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome to Compounding World, and welcome to the latest episode of the Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisio, and once again, joined remotely uh, with Sebastian Dennison and I will call him Mr. Number Five because Nat Jones, this is your fifth appearance on the podcast. We couldn't be more excited to have you back. Well, it's, it's kind of like having the honor of, uh, like you said, hosting Saturday Night Live. So I should get some kind of a jacket or a pin or something, right? You know, I, I think it's exactly what we envisioned. Um, the unfortunate part is that all three of us are recording remotely once again. So Everest, I guess you can say we keep on getting closer to an opportunity of having us all in one room. And then next thing you know, we make the decision to break apart and, and still record remotely. But when we do see you, Nat, uh, and I guess since we are audio only on this podcast platform, everyone can envision you wearing a number five jacket. Uh, okay. <laughs> because you are definitely our most attended guest. And you've spoken on so many different topics. You've, you've covered dermatological compounding. You've spoken on cannabidiol. You've spoken on low-dose naltrexone. And today, we're going to shift gears and talk about something completely different. Um, as we do with most of our podcast episodes, we, we try to cover something unique, uh, whether that's a disease state or an area of compounding pharmacy that truly deserves a bit more attention. And today, we're going to be discussing marketing opportunities and compounding ideas for ear, nose, and throat doctors this is something that falls within your wheelhouse. Um, I know dermatology falls within your wheelhouse, Nat. It's been one of your, your areas of passion and, and obviously your ebook that has been published and the, the variety of formulas that you've, you've had your hand on in regards to PCCA availability, but also an area of focus of yours has been ENTs. And uh, I know a year ago, there was a live conference that you spoke at. It was a ton of marketing gold and ton of ideas that really fit into the realm of ENT compounding ideas. And, and I just thought it was well-timed, specifically us kind of gearing into allergy season. Uh, a lot of pharmacies ramping up their marketing efforts again after being potentially shut down for two or three or four months, starting to see doctors again, talking to them about the opportunities relating to compounded medication. And I, I, always thought that ENT compounding has been an area of focus that is quite fruitful and quite easy. Um, I was maybe, maybe easier and that, and that's a guess from my perspective, maybe you'll be able to shed a bit more light of whether or not there's a level of difficulty relating to, to this disease state. So I know it's a, it's a long winded intro. <laughs> I know Sebastian and yourself are going to get into a lot more of the clinical information that A is available and B that can be communicated to practitioners. So Nat, with that being said, and, and not going too much deeper on your, your fifth appearance on the podcast, but uh, when, we talk, when we think about compounding ideas for ear, nose, and throat doctors, what are the first things that resonate with you? And number two, you know, what does that mean for a PCC member specifically? Well, um, first, first off, uh, thanks for letting me come back on again. Um, the, 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 the concept of uh, ear, nose, and throat compounding is, like you said, it's an easy sell because 
um, like what you said, you mentioned marketing opportunities. Who do you market to? Well, you're marketing uh, ear, nose, and throat to pretty much anybody that sees sick patients, you know, pediatrics, internal medicine, urgent care, family practice, along with your ear, nose, and throat doctors and your allergists, you know, so that the, the number of people, you know, ER physicians, everybody, they see a lot of upper respiratory problems. They see a lot of ear, nose, and throat things that, that walk in the door every day of their practice. There's not a day that goes by they don't treat something like this every day. So uh, the number of practitioners you can market to for ENT is massive. Uh, so from a, from a marketer's perspective, this information is applicable to probably 50% of the calls that they make somewhere in, in their marketing efforts. Um, the, the second thing is, is, you know, you mentioned allergy season. <laughs> well, depending on what part of the country you live in, you know, allergy season can go pretty much year round for some people. If you're in an area that's, you know, warm and, and there's pollen going I mean, So even like on, like, on the east coast on you know, uh, central, central east, eastern seaboard areas, you know, you've got several allergy seasons. You've got tree pollen in early spring. You got grass coming up in summer. Late, late summer, you got ragweed going into the fall. And then in the winter, you, you, everybody's got dust mites and mold spores and things, things that are going to affect you know, the, the respiratory system. So there's, there's really not a time of the year where it's not there, except summertime, people spend more time outside. So I think there's a lot more exposure, right? So that's, that's kind of why a lot of people think spring and summer is going to be more of a, an allergy season per se. But there's no shortage of opportunity to market everything that, that we do. And the other thing is, from a, a being a P, if you're a PCCA member, you have access to some amazing bases that we have developed that are strong in the ENT marketing area, like Mucolox and Loxisperse and Xylophos. So those are all good, uh, good, good tools to have in your toolbox. In fact, we have a plethora of formulas that are developed around those bases. I find it really kind of interesting because I always think of the ENT world as an opportunity to collaborate with these practitioners who, who always do multi-drug therapy. You never, ever, ever see sort of like monotherapy with ENTs. It's always like, oh, well, we need a steroid. We need an antibacterial. We might need an antifungal. And oh, by the way, we also might want to need something for pain control. Um, there's just it, like, it, it's really truly like a great collaborative opportunity practice. But I'm, I'm going to kind of start with Matt. Like what, what started your interest in the ENT world? Because I remember you sitting at your desk being like, buddy, I got to tell you about these formulas. I've, I've been doing some reading and this is really cool. And so I'm kind of what, I'm curious as to what got you excited about it. And then let's start getting into some of you, like we can work our way through the entire system. I think you mentioned this prior to the broadcast. We could start up in the, up in the sinuses and then work our way down into the back of the throat and then into the mouth and, and then away we go. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting from a um, uh, professional perspective, you know, when you're when you work in community pharmacy, you see everything. You know, I mean, you, you, you talk to the pediatricians every day. You talk to the allergists. You talk to the ear, nose, and throat. And I was in a medical center with, you know, my pharmacy was uh, in a building with 50 physicians. We had everybody in there. I mean, every specialist you could think of. And so I got to know the ENTs. I got to know the allergists. I got to know the pediatricians. And we had, we had a personal relationship. So they, they learned to rely on me as a resource. So from a, a clinical perspective, that's how I got interested in ENT. It became a real huge segment for my pharmacy. Um, and then in terms of uh, working at PCC, I've, I've told the story several times. I first got hired in 2014 
I really didn't know that I could submit formulas. And so about a year into my tenure there, they go, oh, did you know you can submit formulas? I'm like, I can? So <laughs> then, then they, they let me turn me loose on mucolocs and, <laughs> and I started formulating. And, it, and the formulation department basically said, um, you're going to have to start entering your own formulas. We don't have time to keep up with you. So, you know, when you're creating, you know, a dozen formulas a week, it, uh, it adds up after a while. Um, so I've, I just kind of whatever I, I see an article or a topic, I'm thinking, okay, how can I leverage this? What can we do to, to put this into clinical practice for our members? Even if it's something simple like preclinical stuff. Like today I was talking to somebody about ketotiffin and, and you know, there's, there's data on ketotiffin, but it's kind of limited to the oral product or to the ophthalmic thing that's out there. Um, you don't really see uh, utilization in other therapeutic areas, but mast cell stabilizers are beneficial in a lot of, a lot of different things. So, um, and a lot of our, our, our derm formulas have got mast cell stabilizers in them as well. So there's a lot of crossover because, you know, the immune system is the immune system, as you know, it's, it's, it's a part of uh, so many disease states. It's, it's hard to ignore one, one piece of it at, uh, just because it's affecting a different part of the body. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I did the presentation that, that I did last July, which is available on PCCA Play. So if you're a member and you have access to PCCA Play, it's um, uh, ENT Compounding Opportunities is the name of the video. And uh, it's about two hours long. Uh, yes, I'm very long-winded when I get talking on a topic, but I went through about 30 disease states and over and almost 130 formulas in two hours. So I covered everything from start to finish, I think on, on compounding opportunities for ENT. I started in the ear because you, know, you had to start somewhere. And I went through um, the otitis externa and then otitis media and then, then the inner ear things. And um, yeah, we, we, we just, there's a lot you can do as a compounder for the ear. And, you know, and it doesn't all have to be sterile. In fact, very, very little of it has to be sterile. So if you don't do sterile compounding, the majority of things are available for the ear. Same thing on the sinuses because of the dry powders that we have, you know, uh, you can do all kinds of nasosinus irrigation treatments. Um, which, which leads me to, um, we, we, I created a document or an apothegram article. It's, it's one of our documents. So if you're a member and you want to look this up, it's our, our document 99654. And it's, um, it's new lower doses of um, antimicrobials for nasal nebulization is what the, the article is about. So we, we looked at um, MIC90 um, on these antimicrobials. and came up with some new lower doses. Um, and I can't take credit for the idea. This was something that came from a couple of, uh, of my uh, colleagues that are in my concierge group. They were doing these lower doses and had been doing them for a couple of years and they were not seeing resistance. So if you wanna take a look at that article, um, it, it'll save uh, you money, it'll save your patients money. It'll make some of these formulations far more affordable. Um, looking at you know combinations of things with antibiotics and and budesonide, um, which is a good good way to go for a lot of uh, a lot of those nasal irrigation formulas. So, Nat, you mentioned amazing resources. You know the the talk that you did last year available on PCCA Play, a very critical resource document that we also have published on our members only website. Let's think of some of our audience who doesn't have much exposure to PCCA, doesn't have clinical services access and needs to learn more about, you know, what direction can they take? And let's discuss more of some of the bases and proprietary uh, formulations that we have relating to the bases and how they could potentially help in their marketing efforts. Because that's, in my opinion, about connecting the dots with those folks as well. And there might be a whole bunch of PCCM members listening 
to the podcast, not realizing some of the, the easier low hanging fruit that is available to them um, when focusing on things like, like uh, loxisperse, xylophos, mucolox, et cetera. Um, well, but anyway, for, for, for non-members who are not familiar with mucolox, by the way, mucolox is a mucoadhesive um, liquid that, that uh, was developed a few years ago that actually has suspending capacity to it as well. So you can add your active drug to it um, and it coats. It's, it's got, um, there's several mechanisms built into the substance to make it mucoadhesive, which is wonderful because if, you, if something sticks to the mucosa longer, it's going to hold your drug there longer, right? And if it also acts as a barrier for protection and, and things of that nature, it can actually help or facilitate healing. So for a, a, a simple um, formulation would be something for like mucositis mixtures um, for patients who have undergoing cancer uh, treatments for chemotherapy and or radiation because uh, mucositis can occur, you know, at any point and it's like 100% of head and neck uh, radiation and chemo patients are going to are going to have issues with uh, mucositis. So we've got some really nice formulas and it and it takes the, everything beyond the point of just being like a mixture of a um, of you know nice statin and hydrocortisone and, and lidocaine and an antacid kind of a, a, a diphenhydramine mixture sort of product. And you're putting it into a base that actually is going to stay in place longer because when you put mucolox in your mouth, you taste it right away. You feel the presence of it. And then after a few minutes, that sensation of something in your mouth kind of goes away, but yet the drug is still there. I mean, the coating is still there because um, the, if you look at the, the um, marketing material we did, we did a, a study, a three-dimensional uh, oral epithelial um, test on um, epithelial tissue where we did a fluorescein stain and we compared it to a reference product and the fluorescein stain with the mucolox product in it stayed on the mucosa for up to 40 minutes with multiple, multiple rinses of a buffer solution. Whereas the reference product was literally gone on the first set of rinses, there was nothing there. So um, it, it will hold your drug there for a lot longer uh, if the patient doesn't eat or drink after they use it. And the volume that you have to apply is really small. It doesn't take 10 milliliters of an oral suspension to swish and expectorate or swish and swallow. You're only using about two, maybe three milliliters tops is all it takes. And then they hold it in the mouth as long as possible and you can expectorate what's left, but it's kind of coat the mouth. Um, a little tip here is, is a lot of people don't know that the resting volume of saliva in, the, in, a, in an adult mouth, if you're not eating or drinking or doing something that requires additional saliva to be produced, it's probably less than a milliliter or no more than a milliliter for most people. So by adding two milliliters of these mucolox preps, you're going to coat the mouth easily and you're going to have drug left drug residue on those these mucous membranes so um, you can you take we take advantage of that same mucoadhesive principle and we develop nasal sprays um, several of them and we've got you know combinations of steroids with um, uh, antihist i mean steroids with uh, mast cell stabilizer antihistamines things like maybe eustachitis because you know eustachian issues are a big issue for some patients if you've ever had a problem with your eustachian tubes uh, you'll know that getting drug back there is not an easy thing to do. And most of the time, if you go to an nearest throat doctor, they have very few, very few options for treatment. So compounding is one of those areas where you can do something about it, you know. Um, and you can make the, the drugs get to the aperture of the eustachian tube. If you, you know, spray it in properly and tilt the head properly, you can get drug to those things and uh, relieve a lot of discomfort for your patients. Um, try the, the article, like I said, the article that, that I uh, gave everybody with the lower dose of antimicrobials, if you look at loxus person xylophos, those have some, um, the dispersion powders, not only do they disperse the ingredients into the suspensions that you're making prior to nebulization, but they actually have some um, 
They have a biofilm disruptor built into them. Right? It's one of the ingredients in there. We use a special micronized xylitol. And then you, um, and then you also have poloxomers, which are going to make it slightly mucoadhesive so you can get your drugs into the sinus cavities. If you've had sinus surgery and you're using a steroid or an antimicrobial or an antifungal, they can get into those, those um, passages and then stay in place longer. Which is, and anytime you get into an um, antimicrobial, you know, kill time is, is, is critical and residual volume is critical. So if you only have a small amount of volume that's going to stay in a sinus cavity, you would like it to be able to stick and do the job on the surface. So like I said, the tools we have available um, are, are wonderful tools to helping enhance the outcome uh, for a variety of ENT problems. So I'm going to jump in because I, I know that uh, one of the first things that I always get questions about is like, what's, what, what was that document? I'm just going to point to a couple of documents. Uh, document 98935 is actually all of our mucolox studies. So if you're interested in those ones, and then there's a ton of formulas. Um, 98894 is all of our formulas with mucolox. We have those same documents for xylophos and uh, loxisperse as well. So I was going to pull those ones up. But actually, Matt, before we go too much further, um, I wanted to talk quickly about just the dosing of antimicrobials because you've mentioned that document a couple of times. One of the things is we had to go with these high doses originally because we had no residency and no stick. And you alluded to that in the properties of these bases is that they have this longer residency time. And so going back to microbiology, you have to have either a long contact time of drug to bacteria or uh, biofilm or uh, yeast to actually have this disruption or breakdown or a bacterial cytal effect. So one of the biggest advantages about using these bases is it, it's that residency time, therefore the lower concentrations. It's, it's kind of a yin and yang. It, they go hand in hand. If you're just using straight, I don't know, water and propylene glycol, um, you're not going to get any residency time whatsoever. And this is why we see these rinses or, or these magic mouthwashes are, are such, um, such controversial treatments because they're using 15 mils to rinse. And then what do they do is they immediately spit it out. Whereas using mucolox, for example, it's rinse and leave. For the nasal sprays, it's one spray and it's not running down the back of the throat and then disappearing. And with the nasal rinses, the irrigations with the capsule dispersing agents, that residency time has such a clinical impact on clearing these, these infections and, and, and uh, helping with inflammation. So there's a lot more information there. It's, it's Matt, you're moving again so fast. I'm trying to keep up and I'm like, Oh wait, I gotta say this. I gotta say that. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to get you to, I'm going to point out the loxus, the, the loxus first information. There's technical reports there. There's a whole bunch of study booklets. Nine, eight, Six six nine is the document number if you want to see all of the studies with respect to uh, loxus first. Then xylophos, we've actually got some other information there. Um, I would push you to document nine nine zero two five, and then again we're going to point you to nine nine zero two nine. It's some other articles that you would probably want to download and look at, uh, so that you can actually kind of keep up to what Nat's saying. Because you're going to listen to this podcast, you're going to go and be like, I need some more information, and I'm just pointing you to the correct document. Phew. All right. Part and part yeah. of this conversation. Matt, tell me about biofilms. Like you, just, you touched on biofilms and you probably got like half the audience going biofilm. What, what could you, like, could you go back to biofilm? Yeah. Biofilm is uh, it's everywhere, right? Especially in internal cavities of the body. It's interesting. Um, you know, we've got, you know, 
hundreds of commensalates that live, uh, bacteria that live in our nasal passages. And most of the time they don't, they're not, you know, pathogenic and they, they're just there, they're doing their thing, they're living on the surface, they're doing whatever they do. But one of the, the um, commensalates that we see, which can be a pathogen, but not often is, is Staph epidermidis. And Staph epidermidis lives on the skin, it lives in the nasal passages, it it's, goes everywhere that it can kind of get to. But what's interesting about it is it produces a lot of this uh, uh, biofilm or glycolax coating that happens. And then other microorganisms join the party. They live inside this coating. They get in there. Um, and then they're really hard to treat with a topical treatment or rinse with an antibiotic. So unless you're disrupting that biofilm, the, and it doesn't take long. I mean, you can take planktonic bacteria that's just floating around uh, free, not in a biofilm, and it can, the staph epidermis can cause a fully mature biofilm in about 12 to 13 hours. It doesn't take a long, long time for that to happen. So using a biofilm disruptor, you know, like, like in the xylophos um, or the loxospores, we've got that special micronized xylitol in there. If you're doing this treatment twice a day, you're going to disrupt that formation and break the biofilm down or at least lure the mi microbes out of the biofilm to make them more susceptible to the antimicrobials, uh, whether we're talking antibacterial and, or an antifungals, um, and make them far more susceptible and be able to handle the infection. If, you know, for example, if you've got a patient who's got a chronic you know, sinus infection, and they haven't had sinus surgery, the apertures from the sinuses where they drain into the nasal passages are probably swollen. They're gonna be inflamed and they're, and they're not going to drain well. Not only that, but if you've got a chronic infection then the cilia, uh, that, that, that flow of mucus, that wave motion that's supposed to occur to push the mucus out of the sinuses is probably impaired. Uh, and, and with a small aperture and a decreased cilia function, you're, you're gonna have uh, more fluid accumulate in those those places. So unless you're doing something to break the biofilm up, the odds of getting an, an antibiotic from a nasal spray into the sinuses is minuscule. So it, it takes it takes a rinse. It takes something that's going to help break that down. You have to do it twice a day, and it's going to take a while. It's not a quick fix. Most of the time, you've seen this. I mean, most of the time, it's we're talking several months worth of therapy, maybe even a year for some people in order to get rid of that chronic sinus, sinus infection. It's ridiculous how, how hardy and resistant those infections can be. So, uh, and, and then the, the patient feels like dirt. They feel like they're dragging all the time because those bacteria are producing endotoxins. There's something else living in the biofilm that's making more endotoxins, causing more inflammation. Uh, if you don't break the party up, it's, it'll just continue to go and go and go for, for chronic, chronic forever, pretty much, so. And, and this kind of leads into the next part because when you're doing these rinses and this biofilm disruption, which, which I think even, I, I would say six years ago, rarely heard about, um, dragging out the therapy without the biofilm disruption and the, the breakdown, literally is, it's, it's, it's just spending money. Because I, I think we had some patients on Wilson solution for a couple of years, and it was mm -hmm. like two, three years, and they were just never getting better. Then you hear about biofilm disruption and you start seeing some of the progress and then you're seeing patients who say within two to three months, they're starting to notice a resolution. And yes, it can still be a year, but it's different than it never goes away because that's one of the biggest fall downs for ENTs is entrenched infections that are resistant and uh, chronic. And then again, that leads to all sorts of other, other issues, which you've already alluded to. So. Okay, so biofilms, we start getting into the disruption of biofilms, and then we start getting into the treatment course. Um, what else are you seeing in combinations for the nasal sort of uh, applications? So nasal spray, sinus irrigation. 
what other options are we kind of seeing there and how are we progressing? Um, we've done a few um, gel type things that you can kind of pack in there and they'll stay in place a little bit longer. They're, they're more viscous, they're gonna stay in place. Um, but a large part, first off, let me, let me talk about a marketing tip real quick, real quick. Okay, so on ear, nose and throat. Uh, I was at the big, big, big um, ear, nose and throat um, um, seminar that took place in Dallas a couple of years back. And there were thousands and thousands of ear, nose, ear, ENTs at this conference. And, and I was, we were talking, we had a booth, we were marketing Loxisperse. And I, I learned there's a question you have to ask your ear, nose, and throat doctors, okay, when you're going to suggest how to use loxisperse or xylophos to your, to your physicians. The question was, do you do a lot of sinus surgery, right? Because there's two different camps. There's a lot of ear, nose, and throat doctors that like to do sinus surgery. They make it a mainstay of their practice. And then there's a fair number of ear, nose, and throat doctors or allergists that try not to do sinus surgery. They're not big believers in the sinus surgery process. So I would ask that question because I found it pretty quick though. If you ask them, you know, do you do a lot of sinus surgery? And they say, oh yeah, I do sinus surgery all the time. I think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread for my sinus, chronic sinusitis patients. You go, great. Then Loxus Purse has got a lot of formulas to help you treat your patients post-op. And we do, they do, they, they work great post-op. Or if you've got a doctor that says, no, I, I try not to do sinus surgery. I'm not a big fan. You go, great. Then we've got a lot of formulas to help you keep your patients from having to have sinus surgery. And, and we do. It's the same formulas. It's just a matter of how, how you go about marketing this and, and to what side of, of their practice um, that you're appealing to. So kind of knowing your audience in terms of how to market these is a, is a, a good thing to know. So uh, for what that's worth. Um, the, the vast majority of stuff, I mean, you have to think about what does a nasal spray do? Well, the nasal spray is going to treat the front part of the nasal passages. Are you going to reach the pharyngeal area easily with a, with a nasal spray? Probably not. Are you going to get, uh, if you've got swollen turbinates because this person has a, you know, an inflammatory process, are you going to get things to the sinuses very easily? Probably not. So you have to kind of choose your weapon. Uh, like I said, if you're dealing with sinuses, sprays are probably not the way to go. Rinses would be a much better choice. And then, you know, if you're dealing with something that's in the front half of the nasal passages, then a nasal spray will work just fine, you know. So I, I think uh, choosing your battles, whether we're treating allergies or whether we're treating a sinus infection, uh, would be the two big distinctions. Of course, the other thing would be something like polyps. Polyps are kind of a, an interesting process because there could be fungus involved. There can be chronic uh, allergy uh, stimulation involved of the tissues. You get this hypertrophy, you get this overgrowth. Uh, like I said, I, I keep, I, I refer to nasal polyps as kind of like the keloids of the nose or the sinus passages uh, because they, they, it's just hypertrophy of tissue and it doesn't really serve any purpose. And then after a while, you've you got multiple polyps in your nasal and sinus passages. You, you sound like Stewie. You, you, you got your fingers up your nose and you sound like this when you talk, you know, so you can't, re can't even breathe through your own nose, you know, and uh, you, you, you have to find some way to get around it. And the ENTs have, they want to do surgery, but the problem is like keloids, they grow back. Uh, probably 70% of the time, those, those uh, polyps will grow right back. So finding an answer to this is, is key. I mean, so that's where steroids, injections into them or nasal sprays or irrigations with steroids in there. And then also mast cell stabilizers uh, can make a big difference for these patients. And that's something that's grossly underutilized by ear, nose and throat doctors, I think. Uh, yes, antihistamines are mast cell stabilizers, but some, finding something like azelastine, for example, which we have in our inventory. Um, I, when I was doing research on azelastine, I found this statement from, from one of the researchers. They said that uh, azelastine as a mast cell stabilizer was about 5,000 times more potent than chromalin sodium. So in my book, that kind of makes it probably the most potent mast cell stabilizer 
we can put our paws on right now. And so that's why we've got a whole bunch of formulas with azelastine in it for, for, for polyps and for sinusitis and, and uh, things of that nature. Because suppression, suppressing the inflammatory process also works. And then, then as another one of our favorite drugs is naltrexone. You can actually use naltrexone in the nasal passages, you know, to, to help work uh, against inflammation, right? So, hey. I, I'm a little bit hesitant about naltrexone up the nose just because uh, it can be pretty intense of an experience. But for some of these patients, it's short-term short -term pain for long-term efficacy. So in some cases, it might be like a, like a cream rinse or, or a gel pack in there. So, but yeah, keep going. Keep going. This is like I, I, I'm learning on this one. Like I, I love hearing <laughs> you talk. Well, I don't know if, so, if you uh, the 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 stuff that's in that the the presentation I did is very inclusive. I, I don't want to bore everybody and just repeat the whole presentation because it was it was a lot of material. But um, you, there's literally no shortage of of options you can show your ENT. So if if for example in your compounding pharmacy and you you sit down with your have your marketers sit down watch this video make a list of all the formulas that I've, I've presented with it. And the PowerPoint, you, you know, when you have access to the PCC play, you have access to the PowerPoint presentation as well, I'm pretty sure. So you can go back through there, just make a list, put it down by topic, uh, disease state, go back and, and ask the, the ENT, you know, would you be interested if I could show you a couple of formulas for this? Don't go in and show them all 120 something formulas at one time, you'll overwhelm them. Pick one topic and say, I've got some formulas for this. Would you like me to stop by and show you these formulas that, I, that we've got for, you know, for patchless eustachian or, or you know, eustachitis or, or pick a topic that they would be interested in. And, then, and when you're marketing in general, right, the purpose of the meeting is to set up the next meeting, right? So if you, you don't want to go in and, and tell them everything you got in one visit, you want to develop the relationship. So the idea is that, you know, come in with something that's interesting to them, find out what they're interested in, bring them what they're interested in. And then before you leave, go, oh, by the way, can we come back and talk about this? You know, do you mind if I stop by in a couple of weeks, you know, bring your staff um, some coffee and bagels, drop it off in the morning. I'll social distance, but I got a couple of things I want to show you on topic B, you know. So just always have the next, next thing in mind when you go in uh, to set up the next meeting. So moving into the throat, uh, it's going to be some similar information, but at the same time, it's, it's so different because it's literally a different organelle or organ system of the body in a, in a way of its functionality and its interface because we've got so many different factors there. So what do you see as being kind of the biggest um, product options or compounding options there? Uh, one of the things that I like to, to utilize uh, for the for the, the whole er, everywhere from the pharyngeal area back down to the esophagus is we um, we've got some nice beyond use state formulas with budesonide in it. We've got a, a bracket study, um, and we've got um, budesonide with mucolox uh, with a BUD. So you've got a good stability, 180 days. Because if you look at things like pharyngitis, for example, pharyngitis is really common. And more often than not, pharyngitis is viral. I mean, the vast majority of times it's a virus. So all you're doing is you're, it's going to go away. It's a self-limiting condition. But in the meanwhile, it hurts. You've got inflammation. It's hard to swallow. It's hard to talk. You know, um, what do you do? So you can use, you know, steroids or, and budesonide, I think, is probably my favorite steroid because it's the least bioavailable. It's going to um, cause less impact on adrenal function. And it does work topically on the on the tissues to reduce inflammation. So uh, we've got that you know budesonide mucolox oral suspension formula, which is a good one to try. Um, the some of the other things for for the throat, if you get you know 
um, pain. We, obviously, we've got <clears throat> sprays, you know, lidocaine sprays and things of that nature. We've got antivirals as well. So we've got a Mutcalox uh, rinse that's got acyclovir, lidocaine, and 2-deoxydeglucose in it. So uh, that's a nice formula. It's a good triad of ingredients to, to help with pain as well as fighting uh, the, and as an antiviral combination. Because like I said, the vast majority of time, pharyngitis is going to be uh, viral in nature. Another, another condition that that's, to me is just wickedly interesting is eosinophilic esophagitis. Um, and, and that's one of those kind of interesting products that were budesonide, for example, or steroids, uh, the in terms of treatment options, steroids have been the mainstay in standard of care practice. So we, we've got, like I said, we've got that bracket study with budesonide um, in mucolox, but we also put together a formula because I found out when you, when you look at the histology um, on, uh, or the pathology and the histology on, on eosinophil esophagitis, you see that there's um, eosinophils, obviously, <laughs> but the, thus the name of the, the disease state, and they're, they're producing uh, leukotrienes, right? So, and in addition to that, believe it or not, when you look at the histology, you see a lot of mast cell involvement. So I put together a formula that has Montelukast uh, in it, as well as ketotiffin and budesonide in a mucolox oral suspension. So now we're getting leukotriene antagonists, we're getting a mast cell stabilizer, and we're getting a steroid all in one prep. And you're just gonna use small doses of this, let it run down the esophagus, run down the esophagus a minute or two apart with, with each small application to the back of the tongue. It's gonna coat, coat, coat. So I, I think it's a, an excellent way to deliver drugs, you know, to that part of the anatomy, treat a disease state that's kind of hard to treat, um, which is fairly common. It's surprisingly common. Um, and when you're affected by this, I mean, you can't swallow. I mean, it, it's difficult. I mean, these people are in a lot of discomfort. So. To me, that's kind of a niche formula, but it's a good one. It's a really good one. Well, you kind of touched on the entire esophagus. Like, I know that people have tried to doing all these slurries and pink lady suspensions and everything to coat the esophagus. Um, but it, it sounds like we've got a delivery system that we can use. I've seen people try all sorts of things. And, and, and it's kind of an interesting one because you can have pediatric patients coming in and, and you can treat them so effortlessly and flavor it so nicely. And then, of course, you've got all of your drug options. So... It, it's it's kind of tying it together and looking at that um, flexibility that we have as compounders to patient-specific needs. But at the same time, um, mainstays still work, but now we're just doing it more efficiently and, and almost economically in the sense of we're not getting into these huge volumes. We're not getting into the like, uh, protracted treatments and that sort of stuff. So, um, all right, keep moving. What do you think about the well, mouse? Which, where well, where did you land? Or go ahead. Right. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, with the mouth, it's one of the one of the most common problems we see, especially in elderly patients, is dry mouth. Um, and there's not, there's really very few products on the market, and the stuff that's being marketed, OTC, uh, for dry mouth, are, are are severely lacking in terms of how well they work, right? So you you got choices on how you can treat dry mouth. You can do um, a saliva substitute. Uh, you can do a saliva stimulator kind of a thing like a, you know, a pilocarpine or maybe uh, something of that, of that nature to stimulate saliva production. But if you're, if the patient's got a disease state, like for example, Sjogren's disease, where they have a limited capacity to produce saliva and you give them something like pilocarpine, my analogy is you're whipping a tired horse. You know, do you really want to make that, that tissue that's struggling try to do something it can't do well, or do you want to treat, treat it with something that's actually going to be a relief? So uh, there's a really neat little um, xerostomia formula that we have 
um, there was several articles that that um, I read uh, along the way for for dry mouth and um, when we came out with mucolox we had people try mucolox for dry mouth just straight up and it helped and then I, like I, I personally I've seen patients who are suffering with dry mouth and and they will try anything and they're the ones who are at the front counter who are asking about hey do you have an artificial saliva substitute something better yep. than this and it, yep. it literally lines it up because I promise you if they're standing in your pharmacy they're going to be talking to their GP or their specialist about it and it's a really easy win because they usually run out of options after they've gone through the commercially available OTC products. Well, what else have you got? Well, let's try the pilocarpine. Oh, let's, like you said, we're, we're, we're whipping a dead horse. Maybe we could try something different. And it's, it's one of the easiest step-ins to this market is that dry mouth world. And as pharmacists, how many drugs cause dry mouth as a side effect, right? <laughs> a, I mean, there's just better question. How drugs. many don't? Exactly right. <laughs> like, so this this is an add-on kind of a side market. So if you got a patient who has to be on a drug to treat their disease state, they have no choice. They're between a rock and a hard place, and now they got this adverse event that they have a hard time living with. You've got something you can at least offer that does have a level of efficacy or, or satisfaction uh, that can be carried around. Literally, you can put this in a pump. They can keep it in their purse or they can stick it in their pocket and then tilt the head back, pop a mill in from an from a, um, airless pump, and, and they've got their treatment in their pocket. Literally, they can walk around with all the time. So pretty convenient. I got one more thing I want to share with you. Just one more thing. Um, I, I looked into chronic um, thrush infections. A lot of people get oral thrush or you know, Canada in the mouth, and then it, they, they use their antifungal prep, their Nystatin suspension, and uh, of course, you have to use one that's sugar-free, right? Because otherwise, you're feeding the yeast. So we've got a lot of nice statin sugar-free formulas. But in addition to that, what happens is they're not treating the nasal pharyngeal area. So, and once you treat the mouth and you're not putting drug up at the nasal pharyngeal area, what happens when you stop taking your antifungal? It grows right back down from the nasal pass, nasal pharyngeal area back into the mouth, onto the tongue, and you've got your candida back. It doesn't go away. So I put together a, a nasal spray that's got Nystatin in it. And so you can use that in conjunction with your, um, your oral prep to help get rid of the, um, the, the chronic uh, candida that just doesn't want to go away. So it's, that's a, a concept a lot of people don't think about, I think, is using the nasal spray in addition to the oral rinse to get rid of a chronic yeast. I, I would say my, my three biggest takeaways, one, I'm probably gonna have to listen to this episode three times uh, to, <laughs> to fully, gather and absorb all the content that was shared to Nat and Seb, you guys did a phenomenal job. People ask me often, you know, what, what the purpose of the podcast is. And if you're looking at growing your business in regards to one specific area or multiple areas, this is a perfect example of learning and getting so many different pearls that you can bring to a prescriber really, really quickly. And if you just listen to this one episode, I would probably say it's anywhere between 15 and 20 different things that are truly material that you can bring back and use as a marketing tool when trying to bolster the amount of scripts that you're trying to attain at the, at the compounding pharmacy level. And number three, uh, we're going to use your Stewie impression probably in our, in our end of the year review because that, that, that was gold. That, that <laughs> in our best of clips for sure. Okay, cool. Well, that's just what happens when you have me on the fifth time. You start getting impressions, so, uh, you know. Yeah, well, you, you can gladly bring the impressions anytime, but honestly, to the both of you, thank you guys for doing such a great job. It, it's amazing that we're at episode 48 or 49, 
and it, and it took us this long to cover this specific subject because it is so broad and there is so much to tackle that uh, I wouldn't say that it's not possible that we might not do another one. So you guys covered so much information and we hope that our audience was able to, to pick off a lot of great gold as well. And re-listening to the episodes probably going to be uh, in everybody's mindset in, in having to go back and, and truly revisit some of the stuff that you guys discussed. But thank you guys so much for doing this. And Nat, thank you for doing this for, for the fifth time. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, Mike, I just, I just kind of want to jump in and remind everyone, like everyone thinks that this is a super high specialty niche practice, but it's probably one of the more available ones. And a majority of the drugs that we've been talking about don't require significant special precautions. And it can literally be picked up by almost every single part of our, of our compound community that are, that are currently in practice. Um, obviously, the proper safety precautions exist, but, but just really and truly, like if, if you're not sure about this one, have a good hard look at it because it, it's such a great opportunity. And as, as we went through in such a short period of time, there's so many patients that can be treated and, and so effectively and effortlessly in, in addition to your current practices. Yeah, it's great feedback, Seb. And uh, once again, great job to the both of you guys. Thanks to all of our listeners out there who tuned in for this week's episode. As a reminder, as always, not to miss an episode, please subscribe. Please feel free to leave a comment or, and to rate the podcast as well. We've been fairly prominent within the pharmacy section of Apple, Apple Podcasts, and it's been amazing to see that uh, we are making great traction and, and, and showing that there's a position for compounding pharmacy out there. And Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in from a week-to-week -week basis. And as always, a reminder to always uh, to like us and to follow us along on social media, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram, and uh, obviously keeping up to date with information relating to PCCA. But thanks again to all of our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk next time. Thanks again.